This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 103. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now your host, Kristen Trumpy. Today we're going to talk about a fringe topic, a topic that a lot of scientific people would say is um, 100% um, BS. Uh, Some of them would say that, some of them are a bit more open and would say, you know what, who knows, we can look at everything with scientific methods and see where it leads. And then there are, of course, some people who are more inclined um, to believe the claims um, and the studies done by parapsychologists. Um, I will talk to Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove, and I know that for some of you, I'll be 100% frank, this is maybe not the best discussion for you to listen to. And um, for whom is it not? It's not for people who think all of these things are uh, 100% bad. It's not for people who think um, my religion is correct and everything that deviates even slightly from it is um, worthless. Uh, Basically, it's not for you if you have already 100% made up your mind. If you haven't, if um, you're open to the possibility that some things might exist, which we can't explain using conventional methods, then you might want to listen to it. Now, what's my agenda? Why am I putting this out there? And I think when it comes to sensitive topics and potentially controversial topics, I think it's important to know where the person is coming from. Now, I grew up um, in a household which was probably more open to these kind of ideas than most I have encountered, all right? Um, I have had a few experiences in my own life that make me believe that there are quite a few things that we don't know yet how they work. Yet, I can't discuss away the fact that I find a lot of these things very, very, very hard to believe. Now, that doesn't change the issue that sometimes it's worth looking in places we haven't looked yet. I think parapsychology and the phenomena that we're talking about are worth discussing for two reasons. Number one, I'm simply curious about psychology as a whole. So anything that puts has the word psychology in it, I just want to know more about. Um, I don't know that much about parapsychology, um, although uh, about, what is that, 17 years ago, I did read quite a bit as a teenager. Um, and number two is that quite a few of you listeners have probably experienced something where you're like, well, I can't really explain what happened there. And I'm afraid to tell anybody else, or maybe I've only told some very, very close friends because I'm scared that people think I'm crazy. Now, me personally, I have no attachment to certain versions of reality, right? So to me, quite honestly, I don't care if I die and I'm done or if I reincarnate. Because to me, it doesn't change how I live my life. I think if I have one life, it's worth making a positive impact. And if I have several lives, it's worth making a positive impact. So to me, I'm, I don't hold this notion that I have to have everything figured out by the age of 34. I am comfortable with reality being way stranger than I think it could be. But I'm also comfortable with reality, you know, from the scientific lens as we know it. Because to me, uh, whether these things exist, right? To me, the world is a pretty magical place in itself. If I think about things like love, appreciation of beauty, um, connectedness, uh, meaning, spirituality, all of those things, even if every single one of them is made up by my brain that's made up of meat and uses, you know, electricity and all those kind of things, like very scientific, uh, graspable things to create something. Um, I still think it's fascinating and it's awesome. Uh, And if 
things like telekinesis and telepathy exist, you know, you know, that's cool too. You know, that, that, that doesn't freak me out. So I don't have a particular attachment to how things go. What I do feel very strongly is that I have a problem with extremism on both ends. So if somebody's like, well, the, the natural, you know, the, the, the practical world doesn't interest me. I only care about my crystals and your aura. I'm probably not gonna be that interested in your point of view, though, maybe for an evening, who knows. Equally, if you're someone who's like, nothing that I can see or touch, you know, if, it, if I can't see and touch it, uh, it doesn't exist, equally uninterested. So um, I have no agenda when it comes to that. I'm also not particularly religious. I belong, don't belong to any religion, but also I don't identify as an atheist. So I really don't have a lot of reasons to channel your thoughts in a particular direction. What I do want to do, and if you want to argue about the direction, the direction that I'm interested in is openness. All right. So that's what I'm interested in. That's why I invited Jeffrey onto the podcast, because I think, you know, he talks about some things that I personally find very, very hard to believe. But on the other hand, I think I should give him and other people the benefit of the doubt, even if I find it hard to believe. Because you know what? Um, 20 years ago, science didn't agree about plasticity of the brain. You know, we didn't agree that we could learn stuff beyond the age of 24. And it turns out we can. So I think it's a very dangerous thing if we think we have figured everything out. And, and that's why I wanted to have this discussion with him to challenge myself a bit, you know, um, but also to challenge you and to get you to think about things that are probably not usually part of your daily concerns. I think we can all benefit from stepping out of our usual thought patterns every once in a while. And I think the things that Jeffrey talks about um, deserve to be considered. Now, you might wonder, sometimes there are maybe some things that he talks about where, you know, I could have been more confrontational. I could have been like, well, Jeffrey, but you know, case studies are worthless because a study, a sample of one doesn't mean anything, you know, and, and you know, I could have done that. But to me, all that does is I have enough time and you have time too to be, to be skeptical, to really ponder, to really think and to be critical afterwards. But if I talk to someone with that assumption that they're just talking about things that are not possible and that what they're saying is all crap and I have to somehow uncover that, well, that will just lead to an interview that, that is hostile and doesn't go anywhere and that's not my style. Um, I think that there are some very interesting topics that we're talking about. And I think that if you are someone um, who, who wants to learn more, it's probably a good idea to check out his YouTube channel and to see what happens. But then if you ask me my honest opinion about some things, well, you know what? If you are already finding it hard to, um, you know, keep, keep, tethered to the earth, so to speak, to keep tethered to daily life. If you find it hard and, and you just kind of love this these things, I, equally, I don't know how good it is for you to get lost in the world of parapsychology, but you know what? It's not my business to tell you how to lead your life, okay? So I've probably never made such a long preamble before um, putting in an interview, but I just felt it's necessary because I want you to understand where I'm coming from. I want you to understand that even if it doesn't really jive with anything that you have experienced, that maybe, you know what, maybe a loved one of you has experienced some things which are really strange. And even if we cannot um, understand it, even if we don't have theories to explain it, even if things don't make sense, I think at the end of the day, we can learn to treat each other in a way where we don't just assume that we are 100% right and the other is person is either 100% faking or 100% crazy, all right? And I think that's why these discussions are valuable. Okay, so now have a good time listening to the interview with Jeffrey. 
Today we have Jeffrey Mishlov with us. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello, good to be with you. Can you tell us who you are and why you're on the show? Well, I am the host and producer of a YouTube channel called New Thinking Aloud. The main focus of the channel is parapsychology and related areas of philosophy, psychology, health, science, and spirituality. Uh, that's been my focus ever since I first did radio interviews for KPFA FM in Berkeley, California in 1972. So I've, I've been doing this for a long time. And uh, along the way, I managed to get a very unique doctoral degree in parapsychology from the University of California at Berkeley. And I, I, to my knowledge, it's the only accredited doctoral diploma that says parapsychology that's ever been offered anywhere in the world. Why is that? Do you know why that is? Yes, because there is a prejudice against parapsychology in academia. I, I guess that's the most simple, blunt way to put it. Okay, so we will get into that and we'll have to. And just so that you know, I'll ask some of those questions which you have probably answered a thousand times, just because I know my listeners want to know these things. Um, but let's start out with the basics. For people who are not familiar with it, what is parapsychology? Parapsychology is the scientific study of uh, what we call psi, P-S-I. And psi can be uh, divided into subcategories, including extrasensory perception, which is like telepathy, clairvoyance, precognition, retrocognition, and mind over matter, or psychokinesis, or it's sometimes called telekinesis. And a third area of interest to parapsychologists is the whole question of life after death and uh, reincarnation. Whoa, right, okay. So um, yeah, let's jump right into that. Uh, so so where does the psychology come in? Because as, well, a, as, a tr as someone who studied, let's put it like mainstream regular psychology, um, I don't recognize a lot of those phenomena. Isn't that interesting? Because the word psyche uh, in Greek refers to the soul. So psychology, actually, if you go back to its original meaning, would be the study of the soul. But the truth is that in academic programs pretty much throughout the world, the name psychology has been hijacked by a group of people who think of themselves as behavioral scientists or cognitive scientists or neuroscientists. And uh, they are, by and large, they are materialists in their outlook. And uh, they believe that uh, parapsychological phenomenon don't occur because it's uh, inconsistent with their view, their, their worldview, their unconscious metaphysics. Uh, in which they think these things are simply impossible. So even though we have at this point about 150 years of empirical reports, scientific reports from some of the leading uh, intellects uh, going back to uh, William James in the 1880s, um, the mainstream psychologists just tend to dismiss it or ignore it. Right. So um, what is what is basically the claim because um on a spectrum from let's say 100 percent skeptic uh, meaning that everything is complete make-believe to 100 percent believer yes all of this exists could you maybe frame us a little bit where are we why why is this important to study well i i'm probably uh, about 50 50 on your scale there and it's very important to study because it says a lot about who we are. As, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be conscious? 
psychologists are now for oh the first time in about a hundred years since the days of William James taking a good look at consciousness but how can you understand consciousness without taking a look at its capabilities and if extrasensory perception and psychokinesis are normal human capabilities and I can tell you that if you survey the general public about two-thirds of uh, people would agree with that then uh, it's something that we need to pay attention to. So two-thirds would agree that they have had paranormal experiences. Is that what you're saying? Well, it depends on how the question is framed, but roughly speaking, yes. Interesting. So... I've, I, I mean, I've, I've not, I've delved into this a long time ago. So that was back in what, 2001, probably, where I read, I think it was a pretty much a handbook of parapsychology. And if I record correctly, basically, the intersection, so where the psychology came in was that the, the people use the same method. So they would try to do lab experiments. Um, I think I seem to recall with uh, rolling the dice, for example, and trying to influence that. Is that what we're talking about when we're talking about evidence or what kind of evidence are we talking about? Well, yes. Uh, in the Society for Psychical Research was founded in 1882 in England. And originally, the kind of studies they did back then were what we would call case studies. They used the methodology of a, a criminologist, the sort of thing that you could present your evidence in a courtroom. They interviewed witnesses. They tried to get as much independent documentation. They collected accounts from different individuals of their personal experiences. They began organizing these accounts along a, a spectrum of human abilities. Then in the 1930s, Dr. J.B. Rhine at Duke University began performing uh, psychology experiments. He was part of the psychology department at Duke University, and he did card-guessing experiments and dice-throwing experiments and used the, the uh, statistics that were available at his day for analyzing those results. And he became world famous for reporting his findings that average people could provide statistical evidence of extrasensory perception and psychokinesis. Wow. So, so what is basically if it's empirical, right? So if you, if you say that's a normal capability, it's not even something that that some individuals have, but others don't. But it's actually a normal capability. And if we just... You know, so some people will show a lot of this ability and other people uh, will at least claim that they don't. If you probe them carefully, they might admit, oh, this happened or that happened in their life. But e even for people who are highly talented, it's... Um, it's still an elusive ability. Okay. So before we go into, you know, critically kind of taking it apart or anything, um, tell us of some of the most surprising findings that, that you really, that you really think are amazing. Well, I have a book out. It's called The PK Man. And it was a study, uh, a case history study in which, I followed the you know, work of a fellow who claimed to have extraordinary capabilities of mind over matter. And I followed his work for about 10 years. Uh, and he would typically send letters out saying, I'm going to cause this phenomenon. I'm going to cause that. It's going to be large scale. Everybody will know about it because it'll be reported in the newspapers. And then he would get the newspaper clippings and, uh, send those out as well. And I, I collected about uh, 100 more than 150 of these demonstrations that he had produced. I would say roughly two thirds of them worked out the way he said they would. And these would be unusual, rare events. You wouldn't expect to occur more than one time in a hundred, like a heat wave in the middle of winter or a terrible cold spell in the middle of summer or, Earth 
earthquakes, volcanoes, power blackouts, tornadoes, and UFO appearances as well, and also ending droughts. So so he would just say, like, okay, there's a drought now, I will do... Did he say how he did these things? Yes, and in, in, in great detail. Um, for example, I first learned of his work when uh, there was a terrible drought going on in 1976 in California, where I was living at the time. And uh, two of my colleagues and friends, Hal Putoff and Russell Targ, uh, working at a big military industrial think tank, SRI International, had achieved a lot of uh, publicity because they did some studies with the famous Israeli psychic Uri Geller. And around that time, they got a letter from Ted Owen saying, in effect, you're wasting your time with Uri Geller. I'm the world's greatest psychic. And just to prove to you uh, how great I am, I'm going to end the drought that you're experiencing in California. It's going to happen in a few days. It'll be published in your local newspaper that the drought is ended. And so that you know that I'm really causing it, I'm going to include some of my signature things. It's going to rain and sleet and hail and snow and all kinds of unusual weather. And there will be UFO sightings reported at the same time. Well, all of this actually happened. And so uh, Russell Targ wrote back to Ted Owens and he said, wow, that was a great prediction. And he got another message from Ted Owens saying, that was not a prediction. I caused it. That is so that was typical of his demonstrations. They worked about like that. So do we have people like that today? Well, it's a good question. Now, I uh, don't know of anybody who has that level of talent. Ted Owens claimed that he was the first person since Moses who could do things of, of, on that scale, on that nature. But I do talk to anthropologists who tell me that amongst shamanistic cultures, for example, in Africa, controlling the weather is uh, just considered normal. It's not unusual. Uh, so I don't know. It may be that there are people like that out there that just haven't come uh, to the forefront of the scientific community. But uh, he was a rare bird, I have to say, at least in the history of parapsychology. He, he may have uh, shown and exhibited more psychokinesis than anybody else on record. So you were trained in psychology. So I assume that before you got the doctorate, you did probably engage in probably more mainstream things. So how do you reconcile what you just told me with what we know about science? Well, let's face it, uh, the scientific endeavor of human beings on this planet goes back maybe 2000 years, which uh, it may seem like a long time to you and me compared to a human life cycle, but it's such, it's, it's like a blink of an eye in the larger scale of things. And I can well imagine that 2,000 years from now, science is going to be very, very different than it is today. And uh, so the science of today is, I, I think we might say, relatively primitive compared to how it will be in the future. So you mentioned that this is really about the capabilities of consciousness. Is that how you view the contribution that parapsychology can make as in yes. mapping out what we are capable of? You know, consciousness has become a very big area of study in the last two, 20 years. They've had uh, many, many conferences on it, and I've attended quite a few. Um, and it used to be the case that some of the leading consciousness researchers would say, yes, we should take a look at psychic phenomenon, but we don't even know what consciousness is at all. So first, why don't we figure out what consciousness is, and then we can begin to address the phenomena that parapsychologists observe. Well, I think they've got it backwards. They're not going to understand what consciousness is if they don't begin to take into account these phenomena that parapsychologists have documented using the empirical methods of science 
over and over and over again, now for nearly 150 years. So, so how would you define consciousness under these parameters? Well, a simple definition of consciousness, would, it, it's, you know, human awareness. It's just being aware. And that is an incredible mystery, uh, that alone. It's, it's uh, almost beyond uh, our grasp to understand how it is that uh, meat and muscle and uh, neurons and other kinds of physical substances are capable of producing something that seems so non-physical as consciousness. So in philosophy, people uh, take different points of view. There's the materialist position that consciousness is a product of neurons and the brain. It's called an epiphenomenon that once you have physical systems sufficiently complex, consciousness emerges, just sort of the way the stomach produces digestion, the brain produces consciousness. But you also have philosophers such as Bishop Berkeley, who uh, was an 18th century philosopher, who pointed out that we can never get outside of our own consciousness. Everything we know about the universe is because we are conscious so that consciousness really underlies everything else. And he was what you'd call an idealist. He would say everything exists within consciousness. And being a bishop of the Church of England, he even went so far as to suggest that everything really exists in the mind of God. And then you have another group of people who are what we call panpsychists. And they would say, well, you know what? Uh, mind and matter aren't really different from each other. They're really all the same, that we think of matter as being not conscious, but even down to subatomic particles, there's a measure of consciousness in every little bit of matter that, that we know. And uh, so these debates have been raging in philosophy for hundreds of years. I'm not prepared to uh, explain consciousness completely, but I can tell you this, that the, the empirical evidence of parapsychology is very real. So how do we separate um, the, the evidence that, you, that you're mentioning here from, from a lot of other things that are happening, such as people wanting things to be real, right? So for example... Um, and I don't claim I know how any of these things work. I, I don't, right? But but I can see how something like reincarnation can be can be consoling. Um, that that kind of if I don't get my life right this time, I'll get you know eight hundred other tries. Um, how do we? Because humans have been known to 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 see patterns where there are none or to kind of come up with explanations for things that they might be seeing, um, but they may or may not be there. So how do you separate it? Because you said you were in the middle of those 50%, right? So the skeptic and believer uh, scale. How do you think well, you of know, things? You, you've raised a very good point. I think it's fair to say that human beings are oftentimes foolish oftentimes vulnerable, oftentimes prone to believe things that are not true, and uh, prone to disbelieve things that are true. The, the critics and skeptics, the scoffers of parapsychology like to say, well, you're just all a bunch of true believers, so any data that you report is because of your belief system. Uh, it works the other way, too, though, that uh, people who have a strong inclination to disbelieve do it because they're afraid. They're afraid of the devil. They're afraid of people accusing them of being crazy. They're afraid that they'll be embarrassed by their colleagues if, if they uh, report these kinds of phenomena. So uh, human frailty and human vulnerabilities work in both directions. The scientific method is designed to kind of work through that because of the principle of replication. If you make a certain empirical claim then, and you can provide instructions for people, 
how they can replicate your claim, and enough people do replicate it, then it's considered uh, acceptable within the scientific framework. Now, it may not be understandable. There are lots of phenomena that are accepted by science that we still don't have good theoretical models for. Uh, but the reason that parapsychology, in my opinion, is still so resisted by the mainstream has to do with deep-seated fears. I mean, for example, where you live in Switzerland and where I live in the United States, you just need to go back a few hundred years and we were burning witches at the stake. People were being punished because their neighbors thought that they had uh, psychic powers and that they were using them for to negative purposes against them. And that's a deep-seated fear. Now, today, the paradigm is different. We say, oh, witchcraft doesn't exist at all. But at the subconscious level, people are still fearful. Let's explore that a bit, because to me, it's actually the complete like opposite. Like I would have thought, well, precisely because we burnt those witches, um, once we had scientific explanations for those things, we could stop burning people. Um, I, I, I believe what I'm hearing from you is basically like, nope, the fear is still there. It just has different clothes. So now the fear is maybe the same, but it's changed 180 degrees. And now it's more the wearing the science cloak. Is that what you're saying? Well, yes, I, I think you could say that. And of course, nobody wants to go back to the days of burning witches. It seems like a horrible period of superstition and malice and uh, bloodshed. But the data of parapsychology suggests, you know, that maybe some people do have those kinds of abilities. Ted Owens, in the various demonstrations that he produced and I monitored for over 10 years, uh, did things that would, uh, if people took them seriously, and I certainly did, some people might think why well, he's engaged in the work of the devil, that this is evil, this is witchcraft, and it must be stamped out and destroyed. We should burn Ted Owens at the stake. Right, right, right. So, so let's imagine, let's imagine, you know, we're, I don't know, however long you believe this would take, um, 100 or 200 or 300 years into the future, and, and people were, are okay with this. Um, you know, they, they are kind of open, they kind of acknowledge that, yes, we used to be afraid of these things, but now we're, we've reached an age where we um, can, let's say, admit uh, to being able to have certain abilities and we maybe even cultivate it. Um, what do you think these phenomena would contribute to society? Well, I think they would demand of us an enormous amount of psychological maturity. Uh, you know, if you look at the way countries behave towards each other, it's as if uh, our leaders are, are behaving like teenagers. They're not acting in the most mature fashion. Uh, some are better than others, of course. And here in the United States, uh, you know, things have taken a, a turn. I, I have to say, from my perspective, they've regressed a great deal. But uh, in order for people, and especially uh, our institutions of education and science and religion, to incorporate this kind of data, we're going to have to be have a far greater level of self-awareness and spiritual and psychic maturity than people on average now possess. So what would that look like? Um... Well, I think it could be a very you know, wonderful world where people care more for each other, where people are more sensitive to each other's pain, where uh, governments work towards improving the well-being of their populations rather than uh, simply to uh, benefit a, an elect uh, a few oligarchs or, or people uh, of extreme wealth, that uh, it would have to be a world in which everybody benefits. And, and I think, frankly, we're far from that. Okay. So so what do you say to people who, who 
tell you that they have either experienced um, something that they can't explain uh, with conventional explanations or who even say they have uh, certain gifts or what do you say to these people? Well, mostly I listen because this is true of me and everybody else involved in parapsychology. When we speak publicly, it's almost inevitable. People are going to come up and say, I never told this to anybody before, but I want to tell you about my experience because they know it's safe to talk about it with somebody who's made a career of studying this thing. And that's, that's a, you know, the first step. It's not as if we can provide answers for everybody or say, come into the laboratory. We have lots of funding and we'd love to run more tests with you. That's not the case, but at least we can listen and let people know that there's a certain amount of validity, that they're not crazy, that these things are actually far more common than they're led to believe. Right, yes. And and I also, for, for listeners who are, um, you know, highly doubtful that any of these things exist, I just want to mention that sometimes the explanations we draw might not be correct, right? So, so let's say with a phantom limb, for example, um, we might construct stories around it, but it doesn't change the fact that the person is in pain and that that pain is worth exploring. So that's kind of where, where I see some of the value that you, that you say, like, even if we don't know if this is true, or even if we are very doubtful that it's true, there is something to having that openness to just being like, what, what is going on? And I think that's something that parapsychology can really probably help cultivate is that does that make sense uh well you know william james who was considered the founder of american psychology and he was deeply involved in psychical research and parapsychology around the turn of the um, 20th century uh he once said that when it comes to debates between what he called the mystics and the scientifics. He said the mystics are usually correct when it comes to the phenomenon that they experience, and the scientifics are usually correct when it comes to the explanation or interpretation. Right. So I, yeah. I think that's a pretty good guideline. It doesn't apply in every case, especially among scientists who would like to think that this is all fraud, also, I see, I don't know, I've been thinking about an, an issue that I see, but maybe I'm, I'm missing something. But I kind of imagine that that a problem that I would imagine parapsychology has is the moment you get it right, the moment you can actually explain something, um, you know, scientifically, it stops being part of your domain, right? So even if you win so to speak, even if you're like, yes, we, we, we understand now what, I don't know, telepathy is, then it's, it stops being a para, a, a, a phenomena that's next to the main, and it just slips into mainstream. Is that what's happening? Well, that's not bad. I, I'm not, com I wouldn't complain if that happens. In fact, it's actually happening all the time in fields like physics and biology, um, even in uh, botany, uh, there are reports in the mainstream literature of those fields. They don't use parapsychological language, but it does seem as if they're uncovering parapsychological phenomenon at work in their own disciplines. And uh, I think that's a good thing. Right. So what I see two two very different things. So one thing is basically if we have that openness, if we cultivate this being able to engage with something, we don't understand what it is, um, a way to engage with uncertainty without letting our existing beliefs shadow everything or cloud everything from the beginning, that that's one thing that can be hugely valuable. And the other thing is also that maybe the language that we construct can be really, really stand in the way of the solution. Because I wonder if what we're seeing with the relationship between psychologists and parapsychologists, 
might actually be mirrored. I mean, maybe this is wild and has nothing to do with anything, but like that kind of sounds to me like Democrats and Republicans trying to talk to each other. It's it's the language will get in the way so much that the moment a word is used, like, you know, instead of telepathy, just take abortion and everybody has already gone down, you know, already made a decision about whether it's good or bad, whether it should be allowed or not, that that maybe the lesson is in how we treat uncertainty? Well, I think uh, it's very good for people to be willing to acknowledge that, th that we are uncertain. And to the extent that people feel absolutely certain and convinced of usually where discussion ends, because people who are totally convinced that they have 100% of the truth on their side are usually not open to conversations that might uh, lead them to question themselves. So uh, I, there's a lot of research in psychology that shows that the most creative people are the ones who can enter into that state of ambiguity and uncertainty. It's very important in all of our conversations, political or scientific. It requires a certain amount of humility. Right, right. So building on that, do you see any real life applications for someone who's not necessarily, you know, they're not saying none of this exists, but they're also not terribly interested in it. Um, do you see any applications or, or particular value that comes from engaging with parapsychology? Well, you know, on the new Thinking Aloud uh, channel on YouTube, I've already uploaded uh, over 600 uh, videos that I've created personally covering almost every aspect of parapsychology from the uh, practical applications in areas like criminology and archaeology and uh, healing and financial forecasting to deep issues around psychotherapy and the nature of consciousness uh, and the nature of the human soul and how all of this is reflected in various spiritual traditions around the world. So there, there's just a vast amount of data for people who are curious. Right. So these people are curious. How do we, are there any things that you would Pardon the language, but I can't think of a better word than something like a bullshit detector. You know, like, is there something, because there are a lot of people and there were a lot of people who were just um, faking stuff, right? To make money, to get attention. So is there something that you can kind of arm us with uh, to explore well, this? One of the reasons I created the New Thinking Aloud channel on YouTube. And incidentally, it's www.newthinkingaloud.com. And uh, I've endeavored to put information out there that is reliable and trustworthy uh, because it's been replicated, because it's been looked at by scientific parapsychologists, or because, uh, the, in my opinion, as uh, a person who has uh, a unique doctoral degree in the field and has spent a lifetime exploring the field, I regard the uh, presentation or the guest uh, to be highly credible. Uh, but, you know, everybody has to judge for themselves. There are many people who follow teachers and gurus that I don't subscribe to, and they're probably uh, getting some benefit from it nonetheless. So <laughs> I, I don't like to judge other people too harshly. If you want to ask, ask me who are the fraudsters who are out there, I'm inclined to think that uh, extremists on, uh, on the skeptical side, people who claim there's not a shred of evidence, uh, the amazing Randy and his uh, phony million dollar challenge, would that sort of thing has very little credibility to me. And, and also, people on the religious front who are making money from the gullibility of other people and getting people to uh, pay them lots of money for uh, transferring spiritual powers or something, I think uh, I'm very skeptical of that as well. I'm, I'm not a follower, for the most part, of gurus or spiritual teachers, but I do uh, hold spiritual traditions in great respect nonetheless. So you do some work with 
with people who are on the spiritual path. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I think we're all on a spiritual path, really. I mean, I lean in that direction for sure. I think that being conscious means that you are a spiritual being and your life has a spiritual progression to it. And furthermore, while I don't think the evidence from past life regressions and spiritual gurus and, and psychics is very reliable, the research on reincarnation is really quite convincing. There's lots of evidence to suggest that we do survive death and that at least some people reincarnate. And uh, that suggests, you know, uh, that a vision of what it means to be human has to go well beyond uh, sort of the, the materialistic notion that when you die, you're dead and that's the end of it. Uh, so, yes, there, uh, I do think that most people in the field of parapsychology, not all of them, have a very healthy respect for spiritual traditions. And also, I should point out, there's a branch of psychology called transpersonal psychology, which is very largely the study of spiritual traditions and the translation of many spiritual disciplines and spiritual philosophies into psychological language. Okay. So is there anything that you want to let my listeners know, or is there anything we haven't covered yet that you find is really interesting or important? Well, I, I'll say this, uh, Kristen. Lately, in the last month, I've done something very new with the New Thinking Aloud channel. Uh, I've been broadcasting, as I mentioned, since 1972. But in the last month, I've started a series of daily monologues called In Presence. And what I do is I cover a lot of the research that we've talked about, but I also try to leave the viewers, because these are video monologues, with questions to ask themselves at the end of each monologue, how does this apply in your life? What changes would you make in your own personal life based on this information? And so for people uh, amongst your listeners who are, what does any of this have to do with me? And they'd like perhaps to explore that further. Uh, that's a new resource that's uh, just been made available uh, on the new Thinking Aloud channel. Right. So that's definitely a good idea to, to check that out. Um, yes. Anything else? Uh, no, I can't think of anything. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. It's been a pleasure, Kristen. Thank you. Hey, so I've dropped the ball on re reading the reviews, but I didn't forget about them, and I'm still very, very thankful. By the way, if you're wondering why you're hearing this background noise, I thought it would be nice to just have a little bit of sounds of summer or spring or whatever. Um, so if you hear birds and children playing, that's the soundtrack that I'm listening to right now. I just opened my window. So the first review I want to read is by, and I'm not sure how to pronounce this, either Cretin 22 or Cretin 22 from the UK. It's a while ago. It was left in November and it says, great stuff, uplifting, insightful, practical. Kristen delivers fantastic content with warmth and spirit. Love it. Highly recommended. So, crétin, um, I think in French that means something like you're a bit stupid or something. And all I can say is um, change that username because you are definitely not stupid because you like this podcast. So that just, those two just don't go together. Um, Cretan 22. <laughs> all right. So then there's, um, oh, this is um, a Greek name. So I'm definitely going to butcher that one. But if Dogogu from Greece, uh, it was back in November as well. And it says, I just found out about this podcast and I can't stop listening to it. So inspiring. Hey, thank you very, very much. Um, I'm happy to have some Greek listeners as well. Uh, it's a while ago since I was in Greece. I was in Greece 10 years ago. Love the place. Um, and yeah, you know, Thanks to you, because I know that some people live in countries where maybe it's not that common to listen to podcasts and maybe even less common to listen to podcasts which are not in your mother tongue. So thank you very much for tuning in. 
Then there is a review from Dr. Gable. <laughs> hello, hello, Dr. Gable, and um, congratulations on that doctor once again. And it says, there have been few resources as consistently powerful and uplifting than this podcast. Quality content you can trust. Well, thanks very much, Dr. Gable. I appreciate that a lot. Um, then there's Thin Lizzie from the UK, um, and she says, Christmas kept me sane and grounded on more than one occasion since I discovered this podcast last summer. She offers insightful, reassuring, and nurturing insight into everyday challenges and helps me understand how I'm feeling, why, and how I can change this for the better. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Thin Lizzie. Um, I love this because it's not just about a brain thing that you're talking about it's really i'm actually reading a book about art and what you described is actually what people expect um, art to do to voice things that we might not be able to voice exactly inside ourselves and i am beyond thrilled that the podcast can give you that all right um i'll read more reviews next time and in the following podcast so if yours hasn't been on the show yet rest assured it will be um i have already recorded at least one more podcast so no worries and i'm also working on uh, a few solo episodes so in case you're worrying and thinking well maybe kristen's just working on interviews now no i haven't um it just happens that a lot of people lined up around the same time for interviews and um, I will be back with uh, some solo episodes I promise that all right take care and talk to you next time bye-bye if you enjoyed this episode you can help us out by sharing it with your network and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher we would love to hear from you at Kristen at strengthphoenix.com for show notes and more head over to www s-t-r-e-n-g-t-h-s-p-h-o-e-n-i-x dot com thanks for listening to the positive psychology podcast we're saying goodbye with happy yogurt <laughs>